Hi, this is Pastor Wilson with Renew Church OC. Thank you for listening to our podcast. Our series, You Are, is about reimagining church as we move into the Brea Civic Center. Our hope is to ask again, what does God want to see when his children gather? I'm pretty sure he's not looking for conversations and connection emotionally with a few kids while everyone else watches them. We're trying to create a culture where everyone is involved and encountering Jesus. You are the worship team. You are a priest. You are part of the body. You are a missionary. Before we jump into the sermon, we always have a opening question. And this is something that we really value as a church. We don't want you to just kind of walk in and out and be a fan or an audience member like going to AMC. We want to invite you into family. And so we break off into groups of like two, three, four people, and then we always ask a question, and at the end of service, we do the same thing at the end of the sermon. So here's the question for you today. Choose two words that describe your character or your spirit, kind of the core of who who you are, and what made you that way. All right, we're going to go ahead and break off. We'll have five minutes, and then I'll come back together, and we'll go into the sermon. Please just kind of look around awkwardly and jump into a group. Um, We don't want my elementary school life to be this time. Check, check, one, two, one, two. All right, we're gonna get everyone's attention back in. Thanks for sharing. This is one of our favorite parts as a community is just to share our stories and life with each other. So I have a close group of friends and uh, we do a lot of holidays together. We do a Palm Springs trip every year. Uh, rent a pool, the kids are in there. We uh, do Friendsgiving every year. We do our, our New Year's together. We cross over to the New Year's. And I love this group of friends. And every time they have birthday parties, it's mostly just us. Just us in the room, hanging out and enjoying each other's company. But my friend, not me, but my friend started accusing me of being a friend whore. Because I want like 100 friends at my birthday party. They want 12, and I want like 120 people. And I just like, will be friends with everyone. They're like, hey, like, what about us? And I'm like, but that person's awesome, and that person's awesome, and that person's awesome. So I just go, and I connect with everyone. And I think one of the reasons why I'm like that is because uh, when I was a kid, I, it was so hard for me to find a friend. I remember going to elementary school every day not knowing who to sit next to, not knowing who to play with. It was just so hard to uh, feel alone. And then in junior high, it got a little better. High school, again, went from a Christian junior high to a public high school. And again, just felt so lost in the crowd, not sure who I could talk to or be with or sit next to. And then in college, I started becoming popular, making friends. And, and, um, and post-college, it's been awesome. But there's a part of me that's kind of like, uh, when you go through the, the, the Great Depression and you're holding on to every plastic bag and every penny, I'm like that with people. I really feel like out of this lonely childhood Wilson, I want as many friends as I can have. It's an interesting question. What are the ways that we're described and how did we become this way? And discipleship answers some of that. A better way for disciple, I am a disciple, is to be an apprentice, to be someone who follows a master, follows learning how to do their craft, like a carpenter or an artist. But in the rabbinic sense, it's following their way of life. 
following their values, following their rhythms, following their outlook and framework on how they see the world. And so when we're a disciple of Jesus, it means that we're becoming like him, that he's the model and we are walking next to him, learning how he lived, what he wanted, and allowing him to shape us. So when we're called to being disciple, we're actually called to be formed and made like Jesus. I want to turn your attention to Romans chapter 12, 1 to 2. If you're in our small groups, you uh, got your hands into this text and, and ask questions about it. It says, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is the true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve God's will, what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. I just want to turn your attention to this part where it says, do not conform to the pattern of this world. This idea of conform is being formed, being shaped, being pushed and prodded and molded to become a certain way. And the world wants to mold us. Our culture wants to mold us. Our culture has this pattern and is pulling us into believing what it believes, to value what it values, to want what it wants, to have its same impulses and thoughts. And Paul is calling us not to be shaped and pushed into the world's pattern. J.B. Phillips rephrased it. He said, don't let the world around you squeeze you into its mold, but let God remold your minds from within. I'm going to go through two paradigms of how we're molded and created, how we're formed, how we become who we are, and how we can be intentional about becoming who we want to become over the next 10 to 20 years. And this is from John Mark Comer. He's a leading thought leader in spiritual formation. So I'm just borrowing his material and, and presenting it to you. It reminds me of when I cook for Nina. Like she's taught me every dish. So when I cook for her, I just give her like a worse version of her spaghetti. That's what the sermon is today. All right. So if you look at the last next slide, this is unintentional spiritual formation. This is how we become who we are, but we're not intentional about it. We, all we have to do is wake up and go to sleep, walk through the patterns of our day, but we're being formed by them, and they're shaping us even when we're not thoughtful about it. So this is what shapes us when we're unintentional. First, it's the stories we believe shape us. So there's societal stories about what makes us happy, kind of just following your impulses, being true to who you are, wanting something and having it makes you happy. In society, we learn about success and value. We're valued maybe for our beauty, maybe for the car we drive, maybe for the career that we have. We have societal stories about sex and sexuality. In a younger generation, you get to define your own sexuality. And you should probably experiment with your body so you understand better your orientation and what you're attracted to. That's a societal story. About politics, we have stories all the time about the other party ruining America. You don't even have to have political positions anymore. You just have to talk about and induce fear for the other party. And that's all of the stories we hear. And then there's stories that we can tell ourselves about feeling worthless, 
Or maybe we have a mentality where we're, where we're often victimizing ourselves, where, where we see ourselves in a helpless way. Or we always have to prove ourselves, prove our worth, convince other people that we have value. Or maybe there's a storyline that no one wants me, that I'm not lovable, that I'm not wanted. There's other stories of maybe narcissism, where I'm better than everyone around me, where I evaluate everyone around me in a way that I've been successful or that I'm gifted in, and I have that narrative in my mind. The second way that we are shaped and formed unintentionally is by our habits. So there's these external physical habits like what time we sleep and wake up and how much Netflix we're watching before we sleep. We've, most of us have built a habit of Netflix before sleeping or anime or gaming before sleeping. Some of us it's one hour, some of us it's six hours. But we have this rhythm that we've fallen into. We have a rhythm of eating, the type of diet that we take in, uh, how much we eat, how often we eat. Oh, can I switch the mic? Is there this one? Okay. One, two, one, two. All right. Um, our eating, our diet, and then we have like our iPhone usage. I always feel ashamed when I look at how much iPhone time I use, especially when I have my games on there. I'm like, wow, I could have been with my son and played catch with him and heard his stories about the day, but instead I did this for 14 hours, right? And then there's internal habits, like how we fight. Maybe the way we fight with our spouse, and we're just used to dropping divorce, and it becomes almost immediate because it's become part of our habit, just escalating really quick and going for the things that hurt the most. If you look at your parents, you've probably observed how they fought over 20, 30 years, and it feels habitual. It feels circular. It feels like the same nightmare over and over. But when you get married, you learn how to fight a certain way, too. You've learned how to fight with your siblings a certain way. There's a habit, there's habit that forms. Uh, how we attach to people, some of us attach extremely quickly but then detach violently. Some of us hold people 100 miles away and, and it's just this habit we formed and how we have social interactions and then of course our addictions. Oftentimes we think we form our habits and we do initially, but later on our habits form us. Our habits shape how we think, the way that, and the person that we become. Lastly, in an unintentional way, our relationships form us and the environment. Our relationships, if you think about your parents, they've had really strong voices in your life. They have molded a lot of your character, your closest friends. And so when you think about who you're bonded to, 1 Corinthians says it this way, there's a, there's a type of people you want to be yoked to those who love Jesus, those who are following him. There's a type of people that you want to be bonded to because they're going to pull you towards the right things. But we could also be bonded to people who have uh, values and a lifestyle that's different from what the Bible's teaching, and they'll pull you that way as well. Who we are with, who is close to us, shape our values. It determines what we gather around. And then lastly, all of these things are stories, the habits, and relationships reside in an environment. For us, it's the OC. And we have values in the OC. Beauty is extremely valuable and uh, a very high currency. But if you come from another area, like a small rural town or kind of any other state, you're like, wow, you guys really care about this. And it's not, 
It doesn't have the same pool. It doesn't have the same equity. But for us, beauty is extremely valuable. Being that perfect family in the picture frame of Target, where there's like no flaws and we're Insta-ready all the time, having wealth, and we also have a huge value for work. So these are ways that we are formed unintentionally. I uh, tried to pick up surfing over the pandemic, right? Surfing and AMC stocks, I don't know. So anyways, me and Jonathan, we go surfing, um, and I'm trying to surf, and I spent a lot of my time watching him surf, so we're like, uh, we're like over the break, and I'm sitting there watching him surf, watching the sunrise, watching dolphins. I'm more of a surf sitter than being able to stand on the board. And as I'm there, oftentimes I just see him paddling, right? He's just continuing to paddle up, up the shore. I'm like, how come he's paddling? And he's like, Wilson, paddle, paddle. And I'm like, ah, I'm okay. I just sit there for a long time. And I didn't know that there's a current always pulling me away from my parking spot, right? So like, he's walking out, the car's in front of him. I'm walking out, he's like super far away, and I have to like lug this really heavy foam board that everyone judges you for holding all the way down the shoreline, like a mile. And there's this unintentional pull on our culture as well. Our culture will just kind of subtly and slowly pull us. And we have to continue to swim against the current. And it's extremely tiring. It's tiring to watch Netflix and have to ask, how does the Bible uh, filter all of these stories and truths that it's trying to teach me? It's tiring to be with your colleagues and, and not slander when that's kind of the, the easiest route to go conversationally. It's tiring to desire purity in a culture that's perverse. It's tiring to say, hey, I'm not defined by my beauty or my wealth or my education. I'm a child of God. There's just so many moments where we feel friction between how we see the world and, and the way we want to go in our coworkers. And I think when we stop fighting, when it's not tiring, when it's kind of easy, when you take on all the perceptions of this world, you start to find that, man, you look maybe more like your non-Christian friends than you do like Christ. Haven't you felt those times in your life where like, I, I don't know if there's a lot of difference between me and the people who don't know Jesus. Haven't you seen that in other Christians around you where you see the way that they're formed is very similar to the way that the world is forming everyone around them. And so there's discipleship. It says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. This idea of transformation in the Greek is, is the root word for metamorphosis, this changing of who we are, this transformation into something better, and, and it representing our, the core of us, our DNA, us being a child of God, that what's our internal reality starts being reflected by our, our external reality. Here are some of the ways that Dallas Willard and others define spiritual formation. They say it's a process of increasingly being possessed and permeated by the character traits of Jesus as we walk in the easy yoke of, of Christ our teacher. Mark John Comer says, spiritual formation is a process over a lifetime by which we are transformed to be more like Christ and ourselves. 
And Galatians simply says, Christ is formed in you. So how can we be intentional about the way that our spirit is formed? How can we live a lifestyle where we're, where we're it's tiring, but we're, we're paddling against the current, and, and who we are becomes more like Jesus. What we believe becomes more in line with him, and our character looks like Christ. Here's the next chart, again, from John Mark Homer. Intentional spiritual formation, and this is a mirror of the first chart. And so instead of stories, it's teaching. Instead of habits, practice. Instead of uh, relationships, community. Instead of environment, Holy Spirit. And on the bottom area, there's kind of this passive way in which we're formed that we don't have control over. The hard things that happen in our life over a long period of time form us. And all of these habits take time to form us as well. So first habit I'll talk about, or intentional um, formation I'll talk about, is teaching. So the way we think about teaching isn't just a bunch of factoids, but it's really um, an alternate narrative into the good life. Because everyone, whether secular, Netflix, culture, they're all teaching you what the good life is. What would make you the most happy? What would give you the most fulfillment? What would satisfy you? And the Bible is a, this narrative as well, teaching you about the good life and asking, do you want to walk in this way? Do you want to submit to this truth? Do you believe that this is the good life, that sex is meant for marriage? Because everyone around me who doesn't know Christ, sex is meant for pleasure. Sex is adult play. But Jesus says, if you wait for marriage, that sex is a way to bring your two souls into one. Sex is an experience that you can have with just one person that will divide that person in your life from everyone else. It's to be a cement to your marriage that we can forgive instead of take revenge. That's difficult to do. Sometimes we want to slander and break the person down. Sometimes we just want to call them out in front of everyone or just be bitter, but God calls us to forgive, and he says that's a better way of life. Trusting God to provide instead of working our fingers to the bone, instead of having a death grip on money, instead of saying that I need to do everything I can in order to not go under, we say we actually have a father who loves us, who cares for our needs, who clothes the birds and the lilies and counts the hairs on our heads to rest on the Sabbath and remind ourselves that we are sons and daughters and not slaves. Secondly, we practice. Practice uh, directs the habits in our life. Richard Foster says, most people think that we change by trying really hard instead of training really hard. But the opposite is true. I was playing volleyball, and, and uh, Kristen's running alongside the, the walkway. I'm like, hey, Kristen. And she, she waves to me. I'm like, give me a hug. And she kind of didn't want to because it would break her stride. It would break her time. you know. And she reluctantly gives me a side hug. And then she keeps running. And then later I ask her, what are you doing? She's like, I'm training for a half marathon. And so she has a certain way in which she's living in order to be able to run 13 miles. right? You have to run one. Then you, then you work to three. Then you work to 10. And then you're able to run a half marathon. You don't just walk up to the race, right? We're not just going to sign up for a half marathon and be like, I'm here, let's do this. But isn't that how we think about our faith sometime? I remember another, um, another time in high school, I made the Frosh Soft team, which is like 
one of the greatest moments of my life. It's like Asian NBA basketball, making the high school team. And uh, we're at a away game. There's this girl that came to watch me that I liked. I totally forgot her name. I'm married now. She's pretty much a ghost. But um, <laughs> she was there, and my coach, my coach kind of knew, so he threw me in the game. And I remember stealing the ball. This is at Roland High School. I played for Diamond Bar, Division Two. So I stole the ball. I threw it down the court, and I'm just running after it. And I am going up. I was like, today's the day I dunk. I just feel it in my bones. Today's the day. I've never dunked in my whole life, but right now I'm going to dunk. Take two steps, cock my arm back, and it was like, whoa! And then I, boom! Side of the rim, it bounces to the other side of the court. Everyone's laughing. Like, my friends are laughing. My coach is bent over laughing. The other team is laughing. Um, and there was just... And what you know as an athlete, if you can't do it in practice, you can't do it in game, right? You gotta work up to it. You don't just, you don't just magically dunk one day. But, but when we think about our spiritual life, do we just feel like, man, there's this bar of purity. And I'm just trying to, if I don't, I'm gonna just clench my fist. I'm gonna white knuckle it until I, I'm totally sober. And then, and we're just trying to do it, and then when we can't, we, we just slowly let go and we give up. There's this bar of like spending time with God for an hour a day in his word and prayer. We, we heard it somewhere from some Korean, right? Five, 6, 5 a.m., like we get up, we pray, that's how you're godly, and you can't do it. You tried, you went, you went really hard, and, and, and you couldn't get up at five. You couldn't spend an hour with the Lord. And so you feel your grip loosen and you give up. But what if we saw our spiritual life as practice? What if we said, hey, like, I'm, I'm, I can do like 10 minutes with the Lord. I could read two verses. And then in three months, I could do 15 minutes. In four years, maybe you're reading a chapter a day. Or when you're fighting for uh, patience, you're like, man, maybe I can't stop doing this action, but I could pull it back a little bit. Right? Maybe I can't stop saying all my angry words, but I can stop saying this word. And we're just asking God to help us give a roadmap to becoming more like him. Instead of trying our best or waiting for a magical moment, we went to a retreat, we started crying. Someone prayed for us. We're like, we can do it now. But instead of practicing, we're just trying really hard. And it doesn't work that way. Thirdly, um, we can be intentional by the community that we're a part of. A community is not your chosen family. It's not the people who agree with you, who do everything you want to do, who are in your perfect life stage, valuing what you value. It's God's chosen family for you in order to become more like Jesus. And some of the ways maybe you're rubbed against the most, you feel the most friction with the people in your church, in our church, are the ways that God wants to shape you the most. I see so many people walk away at the cusp of community. Man, I got hurt. Well, let's work it out. Let's have a conversation about it. No, I'm going to go to another community. I'm like, you're not in a community. You're just kind of visiting. Because intimate relationships, being brothers and sisters in Christ means that you have to work through hurt. Have you never fought with your brother? Have you never fought with your parents? Right? Intimacy means that there's hurt. But how do you handle it? How do you reconcile? How do you go deep with each other? Community means that you know each other and you're known. And you're giving permission for each other to speak into your life, for you to speak into their life. 
and for them to speak into your life. That our, why we gather is to form each other to be more like Jesus. Lastly, intentional formation happens with the Holy Spirit. That teaching alone doesn't transform or cut into our soul. It's the Spirit that moves his word into our heart. Practice alone just leads to self-righteousness. It's the Spirit that allows that practice to form you into Christ. Community alone can become superficial unless the Spirit is bonding us in him. We're inviting the Holy Spirit by, by opening up these spaces in our life that as we're, we're hearing teaching, we're saying, Spirit, would you use what is said to penetrate my heart? As we're in community, we're, we're inviting the Spirit to use those relationships to shape us, to use practice in, in order for the Spirit to tutor us into righteousness. <clears throat> Dallas Willard said, grace is not opposed to earning but effort, and the two are not the same. Right? We're not supposed to earn our salvation. We're not earning our sanctification. We're not earning grace, but we can put effort towards it. It's different. Augustine said, without God, we can't. Without us, he won't. So I'm wondering in our life, if we feel stuck in our faith, we feel like we're not growing anymore. We feel like, man, I've just kind of been receding. I've been kind of becoming more worldly. I'm carried off by the current. I wonder if we're putting in effort in in allowing us to be intentionally formed to be more like Jesus. Because a lot of times when I talk to people who are stuck, I'm like, they're like, but I don't, I don't really want to hear from Scripture. I don't want to spend time under his word. I don't want to submit to its authority. And I feel stuck. Or they'll say, I feel stuck, but I don't want to carve out time for community. I don't want to put my authentic self in front of people. I don't want to show up to church every week. I'll come to small group when I want to, and I don't know why I feel stuck, right? Or I feel stuck, but I don't want to practice. I don't want to work at my spiritual disciplines. Well, if you're an athlete, you know why you're stuck. If you're, if you're a, an instrumentalist, if you're a musician, you know why you're stuck. But as a Christian, we're bewildered by it. Maybe we're stuck because we're not creating these spaces and teaching practice and community for the spirit to work in our life. Maybe we're stuck because following Jesus is, is not a priority in our life. And those are, those are why I'm stuck many times. All right, this is one of the last slides. Here we go. So what I'm trying to do here is kind of walk you from one place of spiritual formation, the bad triangle, the unintentional sport, spiritual formation into the intentional one. Does that make sense? So when I think about anxiety um, or busyness, when I think about what it means to kind of gun after your career, I, I remember me and Nina when we first launched Renew, it's just a ton of work to get a church off the ground. But on top of that, we were doing apartment life where we did three events a month and Sometimes we're hosting 20 people. Sometimes we're hosting 100 people at these events. We have to visit doors and flyers and do team meetings. I literally remember Nina cooking brunch for 120 people in our apartment kitchen. I mean, she's a superhero, right? She's like four Bunsen burners of scrambled eggs, trays of sausage and bacon into the oven, and like, I don't know, microwaving pancakes. I don't know. So I'm just like, great job, baby. Great job. You're amazing. And she's like, do you want to help me or just watch me be awesome? And um, 
So we did that. Um, I was running Epic at Cal State Fortin. And I just felt like our, our marriage life was breaking at the seams. That we were pulled into 100 hours of work. And we could not manage our own spiritual life. We couldn't manage our married life. We were hurting. But, but there's a story that, man, you've failed in so many ways. Maybe this is where you prove yourself. There's a story of like you're holding the church together. And if you let something go, the whole thing's going to fall apart. There's these habits of, of all of us, right, getting caught into overwork. Habits of us working right through the weekend, working into the night, skipping dinners, skipping sleep. We've built, we can build habits of busyness and anxiety in our life. And then we can have friends who celebrate that with us. Oh, you think you're busy. Your schedule's busy, right? I did 14 hours. Or I worked through Christmas. And you're just like, wow, that's awesome. And you start celebrating those things. And that's the environment we live in. But as I sat under the teachings of Jesus again, I'm like, man, this yoke is not light. And he's saying, you didn't come to me. You're not the head of the church. I'm the one building it. And so what does practice look like? Practice looks like, Silence and solitude and sitting there and saying, the most important thing I can do with the Lord is not the work, but the being with Jesus. The practice of keeping the Sabbath holy and saying, there's a 24-hour period where I'm going to experience trust in the Lord with provision, with the project, with the ministry, and I'm going to rest. There's a practice of surrendering to the Lord and saying, God, today's yours. It's not mine. I want to have this non-anxious presence in the community. And I love um, Jonathan Whitmore and I. We often encourage each other. Go play volleyball. Go surf. Go on your vacation, you know. The PKs at our church, we, which we have a collection of. I keep joking about starting, like, a support, a support group with you guys. You know, like, I'm sure all of us have, like, wounds. But, but the PKs, whenever we go on vacation, they're like, we'll help you. Go on vacation. We want you to do this for 20 years. And, and I just see a community around me that, that is valuing the same things that, that Jesus values. And then I want to talk about sin and addiction, right? All the stories we hear about sin and addiction is that it's okay. Just go for it. Just do it, right? If, if your heart wants it, go for it. Uh, it's, it's more shameful to shame sin than to be in sin. Like, I feel like you're, you're more likely to be canceled for saying something sinful than to actually do something bad. That's the culture where we live in, that everything is okay. And you can chase your impulses wherever they take you. And it's easy to develop habits. For me, it was addiction to um, explicit images and videos. And then it's habit forming, where your, your brain has a habit. Your, 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 the way you build out your week has a habit. There's a habit to go to your addictions, no matter what it is, your sin, when you're bored, when you're tired, when you're rejected, you know, just, just any reason, it becomes self-medicating. And then there's relationships. No matter how dark your sin is, you'll find someone celebrating it with you. I watched a documentary on school shootings, and there's like these really, you know, dark web websites where they become the heroes. Like Columbine shooters are their heroes. No matter what sin you engage in, there are relationships that can continue to pull you under. But what does it look like to uh, be intentional about formation? 
Well, I, I remember in my sin that Jesus is saying that all other sins are outside the body, right? But, but when we sin sexually, we sin, we sin against our own soul. That Jesus calls us into a better way of life where we're not lusting after other women, but we can have our eyes for our wife and see her beauty without comparison. It's just her in your eyes, in your mind, in your heart. And then there's the practice of that. For me, it's like cutting out every form of internet in every device that I own, unless there are really strong blockers. So you could go to any device in my home, my phone, my laptop, and it's like, it's basically safe for your child, right? Like your six-year-old can go on it and be like, what does Wilson, what can I get in here? And there's nothing on there because that's a habit I built. And it took so much practice to continue to block everything out of my life so that I could have freedom. There's freedom when you put up boundaries against your sin. I could feel safe with my phone in the bed. I could feel safe at, at home alone. But then there's other times where I'm like trying to check Liam in, uh, Levi into preschool at EV Free, and they started a new QR code system. And they're like, oh, you have to download this app. I'm like, I cannot download apps on my phone. <laughs> and then they're like, oh, just go on the internet and you can check them in through the internet. I'm like, I have no internet on my phone. And then the preschool teacher's looking at me like, your wife has you on lockdown. <laughs> I'm like, I chose this life, <laughs> you know? <laughs> but, but it's, when we struggle with addiction, we get frustrated. We want to give up. And it's so easy to just feel like, I already prayed about this 100 times. I went to the retreats. I heard the sermons. But it's not about one moment. It's about a lifetime of formation and practice and doing the right things. I talked to Roy Kim, who's an expert in uh, sexual addiction, has an MFT. He says it takes two to five years of intentionally putting down structure and accountability in order for someone to leave sexual addiction and most addictions. Are we practicing or are we just trying to in-game dunk in front of a, a ghost girl that used to like you, you know? Are you, what are we doing? And then lastly, community. I have an accountability partner and we, we share about when we slip up, we share about when we have victory and we celebrate the right things. We remind each other why. It's not just about not falling or having sobriety. It's about creating more space to love Jesus and become like him, right? It's not about just me being like, I don't, I'm not, I don't have to sin anymore. It's about every step of the way, experiences <laughs> grace and forgiveness and love and saying, I want all of my heart to be yours. I don't want to be divided. I don't want to serve two masters. I want you. So as we close this time, I'm going to read one more time Romans chapter 12, 1 to 2. It says, verse 1 says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. That true and proper worship to God um, aren't narrowed into these moments. True and proper worship to God is our whole life being formed to be like him becoming holy, becoming a living sacrifice where we surrender ourselves to be molded by the Lord. That's how we worship the Lord, this intentional formation of our very souls to reflect Jesus. And then it says, then you will be able to test and improve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. And so as we become more like Jesus, we get to step in 
to his plans, his victories, and his destiny. Joseph was formed in a prison before he sat at the right hand of Pharaoh. Moses was formed by being a shepherd to sheep. But after that, he became a shepherd to a nation. David was formed in caves before he became a king. Are we willing to be formed by Jesus? Are we willing to become more like him? There's a cost to discipleship. There's a cost to it of letting go an old way of life, of letting go an old self, an old master, and saying, I want to go this way. There's this really cool quote in Isaiah where he says, this is the way, walk in it. I'm like, that's my next tattoo. That's so cool. Forget imperfect people only. This is the way, walk in it. Isn't that so amazing? That's what discipleship means, that there is a way that God lays out for us, a better life, a formed you into Jesus, but we have to walk in it. For our small group, we're going to break off again um, after I pray. And these are the questions I'm thinking about. What is one area of transformation that you want the spirit to partner with you in? Is there a part of your heart, your soul, that you're saying, God, I want, I want to be shaped more like Jesus? That I, I, if, if I were to meet Jesus, he's actually opposite of this part of who I am. And then secondly, what part of intentional formation do you want to give effort to? Again, it's God who forms and, and shapes us. It's his power that transforms us. But we have to partner with him. Without God, we can't. Without him, we won't. And then I would love for us to pray for each other. Did we pass out communion cups this morning? Oh, Joseph, I see one under you. Can I take your communion? <laughs> Sorry, I didn't get one. We'll take, we'll take it together after service. All right, there you go. All right, um, we're going to take communion together, except for Joseph. And, um, and I think about how much God loves you. I think about how we don't have to be perfect. We don't have to just try and hit a bar. But that Jesus loves you so much that he died for you to give you a bazillion chances. He's that coach that will hold your hand through every step of the way, sit with you when you need water, bind your wounds, celebrate that one inch, that one millisecond that you won. And he does that by forgiving us and dying on the cross for us. Uh, you might feel discouraged this morning. You might feel like giving up. You might feel like you're a long way away from starting your spiritual walk again. But this cross puts us all on equal footing. He forgives us through and through, and he calls us again to follow him. This is his body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of Jesus. This is his blood shed for you. Do this in remembrance of him. God, we thank you for the cross. We thank you for the blood that you spilled, the body that you broke for us. That reminds us that we have a second chance and a third chance and a thousandth chance that you help us up again. God, I pray that we would walk into into forming ourselves like you, into partnering with your spirit, 
so that we look like you more every day. Help us today to take another step towards you, no matter where we're at. We love you. We're grateful for your word. We're grateful for your spirit that lives inside of us, that tutors us through every moment of our life, through your word, through habits, through practices, through relationships. Thank you, God, for not leaving us to our own efforts, but leaving us with your spirit living inside of us, giving us power, orienting our heart in the right direction, and allowing us to see transformation beyond what we can do. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. Since I have you here, I wanted to give you a few more resources and talk about how you can invest in our ministry. If you look at the description section of this podcast, we have a website for the church and would love to have you come visit us when you're in town. We're in Brea, California. We also have tax-deductible giving at Renew, and we would love for you to invest in our church and our seminarians as we have people coming in to become future missionaries and pastors at Renew. We want to train up the next generation of pastors to reach their generation for the Lord. There's also a few more resources. At the very bottom, I do a podcast with Roy Kim, who's an MFT. It's called The Same Boat, where we talk about issues from English ministries at immigrant Chinese churches to relationships and being single. I hope that you would enjoy this podcast with us as a way to talk off the pulpit and into our daily lives. And lastly, Nina and I wrote a children's book series called To Be, helping kids integrate their faith with their occupation. And on that website, there's also the adulting journal. If you're in your 20s or 30s and you're going through transition in career, relationship, or just rethinking your spirituality, this is a great space for you to examine inward and find what God has written on your hearts and in your values. I hope that those resources uh, would connect with your heart and that you would connect with us. God bless.